This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hello, hello, hello and a very happy new year to everyone listening in. Welcome to the 115th episode of Hashtag Game of Two House, a sports podcast by The Straits Times where we chat about some of the biggest talking points in sport, both here in Singapore and abroad. My name is Azali Abdulaziz and I'm a correspondent on the ST Sports Desk and I will be the host of this series from here on, uh, a bit of a new year, new us in a way. Uh, for our first episode of 2021, I have with me in the studio ST Sports Editor Lee Yulin as well as ST Assistant Sports Editor Rohit Brishnath who is on the line. Welcome Yulin. Hey, hi Zaz, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. And, and Rohit, are you there? Yes, I'm here, I'm here to see you guys. Alright, uh, this being the new year, let's start. Uh, I think it's only fitting we start with you know what everyone is hoping for uh, in sport over the next 12 months. Uh, in fact, Rohit last week wrote a column which is still up on the ST website sports section and we have a link below in our podcast uh, text description on 20 things he hopes to see in sport in 2021. So Rohit, can you share which of these 20 points uh, is at the top of your wish list? Uh, well, literally, I think that uh, Federer is at the top of my list. I mean, I would like to see, I mean, because I'm a romantic, I would like to see this old man, all of 39, his uh, leg, I think his knee is in bad shape. But I'd like to see him come back for, you know, a last uh, Grand Slam, just more not to win, more just to say goodbye. I mean, there are no perfect endings in sport. We pretty much know that. And uh, people sometimes just disappear, fade, fade away like a, Painting left in the sun, but um, it'd be nice to see him back and hit, hit a shoot, uh, hit a few shots, and and give people a chance to say goodbye to him. I think that's 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 a romantic one. I think the other one, which is I, I really is important to me, which is actually comes from an article that you wrote about you know women coaches and you know, where are the women coaches in Singapore? And I was quite aghast that no woman coach had ever won the coaching award in Singapore before. And I would like to see more women coaches, not just in Singapore, but across the world. I would like to see more women in positions of authority in sport, um, sort of uh, more protection of women athletes. I think there's a lot of work to be done around women in sport. And I would really, really like to see that. Uh, and Yulin, what about you? What are you crossing your fingers for in sport this year? Um, well, really, I'd like to see the rise of a resilient generation of sportsmen. Um, I am quite concerned that the COVID disruptions have really cost um, us, uh, particularly, you know, uh, for example, today, this morning, we had a story of the national school games. Yep. Team sports are not coming back. It's two years in a row now for, for athletes, student athletes in team sports. Now, if you were a male, JC1, you don't have sports. JC2, you don't have sports. Then you go into national service. That's another two years, you know. Four years, no competitive sport. That's a lost generation yeah, to yeah. me, and you really run that risk. So I would like to find, I mean, I'd, I'd really like to see some leadership from sports associations uh, in terms of pivoting. I would like to see them come up with creative ideas so that we don't lose all these boys and girls, you know. Two years, I mean, we know one year is quite bad in terms of disruption, but two years, that's a lot. Four years, it's almost impossible. I think that point about resilience... Uh, generally to, to pursue sport in Singapore requires a, a level of resilience. And I think obviously with COVID um, disrupting so many things and disrupting the processes, that makes it even more uh, vital this time around. Uh, and that's a good segue into one of the points that uh, Rohit made in his column that resonated with me 
particularly about Singaporean athletes. Uh, one about giving them the respect they deserve for you know making sacrifices and taking time off from academics. Uh, etc. to hone their craft and the other is for national sports associations not to shackle or, or be so protective of them when it comes to talking to the press um, yeah you know Rohit what you know made you decide to add that to your list well two things one is uh, I'll take a second point first I mean I talk a lot to Singapore athletes you know through the year and I find in my time that I've been in Singapore and I've been here now 13 years I find Singapore athletes are smart, they have a lot of things to say, uh, they're quite open, they're tough. Um, so I think we should let them speak a little bit. You know, I think that, you know, competition is a very tough business. You know, you're out there in the arena, you're absolutely alone, you have bright lights, you've got cameras, you've got 25,000 people. You need tremendous self-confidence to manage this, to, you know, take on the moment. Forget about a rival, just a moment. And I think we need to build that confidence. And one of the ways you build this confidence, I feel, is that you have to have a certain amount of openness. I think it helps. I completely agree. And, and Just before you move on about uh, you sure. know the sacrifices that they make, one of the stories I did when I was a rookie reporter was to talk to a, uh, an Aussie sports psychologist who came to Singapore uh, many years ago. And and um, I asked that sports psychologist about uh, media blackouts because some uh, national sports associations ahead of major games, they have this thing called media blackouts where, where you know, the media is not allowed to to interview their their players. Uh, you know, ostensibly this is so that the players can focus on their game and so on. But this sports psychologist said that you know, in the long run, it could have actually a detrimental effect on on uh, the athlete because you know it makes them too sheltered, they're too mollycoddled. So ex- exactly, you know, I I think your your point rings true. You know, they need that confidence, and you know, dealing with outside pressure sometimes actually helps. I think I I want to chime in on this point about confidence. You are discussing about athletes being confident and developing that confidence. But I tell you, a lot of this shackling is because leaders in sports associations are not confident. And I feel that, you know, there are very capable administrators here. I think they are efficient, they are honest, you know, and I, I think there are many who are very earnest and try their best, but they do lack confidence. They lack confidence in terms of unshackling their athletes, in terms of letting the athletes have an opinion, in terms of letting the athletes have the freedom to develop themselves. And Rohit, what about yeah. about their sacrifices that, that made you feel it was worthy? Well, the other, you know, Singapore is a very hardworking uh, country, a very academic country. Athletes are doing something different. They are doing something which is a very high risk, which doesn't necessarily have the reward the way that we look at rewards. I mean, there's not always a lot of money at the end of the road for somebody, say, who's a rower who's trying to get to the Olympics. There isn't necessarily a lot of fame. So sometimes I think people don't always understand why these people are doing what they're doing, but they're actually just following dreams and listening to voices in, inside them and trying to find the best parts of themselves. I always have admiration for people. This may be a musician, this may be a poet, this may be an athlete who is trying to find the best part of themselves. And we'll go to, you know, any length. We'll get up in the morning for four years in a row at 5.30 in the morning or 6 in the morning. We'll wear pain, we'll sacrifice, not go out to parties, not eat certain foods. We'll, you know, do the same thing. Actually, sport is a very repetitious thing. You know, you're doing the same thing again and again. But they're trying to do it because they're trying to find out how good they can be and what they can be. And if they can get to the Olympics, just getting to an Olympics, in my opinion, is an achievement. After all, you and I are never going to get there, are we? 
So, I, I, I still have time, I think. Rohit, you have been to, okay. I think, five Olympics. But just on the other side of the fence. Yep. <laughs> Talking about the Olympics, of course, it is the biggest sporting event scheduled to take place in 2021. And if all goes well, Rohit... Uh, myself and our colleague David Lee will be making the journey to Tokyo in late July. Uh, it's obviously a very fluid situation still as far as the organization of the Games is concerned. Uh, but are you excited or apprehensive uh, about the Games, Rohit, and, and why? Well, I'm not apprehensive because I'm pretty sure that, you know, the people know how uh, dangerous this virus is. So, I mean, uh, if there is a threat at that moment, I'm pretty sure that, you know, people are going to take whatever protective measures need to be taken. But and of course, but at the same time, I'm I'm really excited because the Olympics is uh, for me the greatest thing that I've ever been to. I really enjoy it. I get to see sports that I usually don't see, and um, I admire Olympic athletes because, as I said, you know they're not necessarily most of them are not going to earn any money. You know they are not uh, Premier League footballers or NBA. Well, they are NBA basketball owners, but you know what I mean. They are more am- there's an amateur spirit to it. Is it going to be extra um, extra? Um I guess interesting for you, given that you know after so many decades of of covering different Olympics, you're going to have a completely new experience this time. Yeah, I, I mean it's going to be different one way or the other. It's not going to be like any other Olympics. And anyway, I I think you know uh, I find Japan to be a quite a fascinating place. So if you put that together, that's there. And I think it would be, you know, I was speaking this morning uh, to to Mark Lee, the, the Singapore diver who's trying to uh, qualify for the Olympics and. I like the way that at least still believe that the Olympics is going to happen. So they are just going to practice every day, and uh, so you know, for them, life has to keep going on. They have to practice. That's what they do. Now, if you like what you're hearing so far, subscribe to hashtag Game of Two Halves on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Like us and give us a rating. On to the second half of our podcast. There have been many changes in Singapore's sporting landscape over the year, and recently we moved to Phase Three. Uh, this meant. Uh, sports facility operators have now been inundated with requests for bookings now that group size limits have been increased from 5 to 8. And like Yulin mentioned at the start of our podcast, how some student-athletes' hopes of competing in the National School Games have been dashed due to streamlined offerings in 2021. There have been obviously a lot, a lot of changes, as I mentioned. So, But for Yulin and Rohit, what do you think the biggest impact COVID has had on Singapore sport? Rohit, let's start with you. Well, I, I have two things. I think the the, the the little bit connected to what Yulin said. I think the the negative has been that I think uh, I think uh, COVID has stolen momentum from professional athletes, and I feel bad for them because I think they work very hard to get to a certain point, and they need momentum to keep going further. And then when you can't practice, which is through no fault of anybody, this is just the reality of COVID. When you can't practice, you don't have access to your coaches, and you can't do all those things. I think it pushes you back a little bit, so I think that's unfortunate. One good thing that has happened in I'm always trying to look for silver linings is that you know when I went running uh, very slowly uh, during during the the last year in 2020, I saw more people running than I have ever seen. You know, in the sense that I would meet a lot of people at four o'clock in the afternoon where I never saw people, and I think if given Amateur athletes, just normal people, a little bit more value of the outdoors and a bigger, better understanding to be fit. So I think that has been one of the little silver linings for me out of COVID is you know sending a little message to the populace about what fitness means and why it's good for us to be in good health. So that's not a bad thing. 
And Yulin, absolutely. what about you? Yeah, I absolutely agree with Rohit. I think more people are doing sport. Um, it More people were cycling. I think we ran some stories that had those statistics was more bicycles mm. were being sold more people were definitely Correct. running because you know all we had some industry figures that showed that fitness equipment demand for fitness equipment all went up and that's all a good thing the question for us now is how do we tap all that you know tap this uh, uh i think i wouldn't say there's a, a increase in uh love of sport to a certain extent but this is an opportunity that we should not let get away you know the thing is in order to avoid a lost generation again it boils down to the leaders of the sports association to be creative and even if like for example the ministry of education and the coaches if you can't have competitive sports for your athletes what can you do then you know i think it's important for why, why can't you teach tactics why can't you teach kids to read a game you know, at that age, at school going age, they don't teach kids tactics. They just teach them basically fitness, drills, how to pass the ball, etc. Movements, etc. You know, they, they don't do that. So why can't you, instead of having it all just, you know, uh, being lost, teach them other things. Teach them how to be mentally resilient. Teach them how to juggle their schoolwork and their, and their sports. You know, teach them. Why don't you teach them different forms of, of sports? You know, cross-training and sport has been a valuable thing for many, many years. Maybe they can't play football. Maybe they can't play netball. Maybe they can't play rugby. But can they pick up other sports? Badminton? Why? I mean, basically, you know, if you're a good sportsman, basically you have hand-eye coordination, you have balance, you've got some good reaction time. All this should not be lost. If they can't do their current regular sport, they can do other things. So I do wish that, you know, yes, we have lost a lot. But we can, we have gained some things, and the danger now is to ensure that we don't lose any more. Yeah. I, yeah, I think that's an absolutely valid point. But I think one thing I have to point out from my own observations, at least, is that there seems to be some fatigue setting in. You're right about the need to be more creative with their approach on on, on how uh, NSAs, for example, leaders leaders of of um, you know local sport here can can keep their their sport alive almost uh, in a way and and not have a, a lost generation of, of sportsmen in their in their sport but there, 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 there has been fatigue because I think when Circuit Breaker kicked in uh, you know in the, in the first half of last year we saw a lot of sports pivot online then there was a lot of Zoom classes there were a lot of new initiatives creative out of the box ideas uh, and I think everybody sort of made that quick pivot because they wanted to they knew that okay we need to do this for now they didn't expect that you know, one year later, they'll still have to do it. So I, I think the, the the sports coaches and sports administrators saw that as a, okay, we need to do this for now. It's a temporary thing. And and a year later, they're still having to go online and do these uh, new avenues. I think it's taking a toll on them. So I, I, I think fatigue could be one issue that, that they are facing. Uh, but let's hope uh, things get, get back to normal sooner rather than later. Yes, I, I do think, I mean, obviously we, we really want some sense of normalcy to return. But again, we need those virus levels to come down at the end of the day. Singapore's doing pretty well. Mm-hmm. But we can see overseas, you know, uh, numbers are raging because people still want to go out to parties and, you know, they're going out and not taking precautions. So it's, it's, a, it's a joint effort, lah. you know, not just the government, but everybody. And there goes the final whistle for our sports discussion of the week. We hope you enjoyed listening to Lee Yulin, Rohit Brishnath and myself, Sazali Abdul Aziz. All right, well, so thank you for coming on, Yulin. Yep, thanks for having me, Saz. Um, it's great to be back in the podcast room again. 
And thank you Rohit as well For joining us We hope to have you back In the podcast studio Next week Yeah thanks Saz Let's just hope for a kinder And gentler year Don't forget You can listen to our Hashtag Game of Two Halves podcast On demand On audio apps Apple Podcasts Spotify Or Google Podcasts That was an SPH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sph.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3.